David, are you going to introduce Bob? Don't start until she tells you what to say. Yeah, that she doesn't know that she's telling me what to say all it's the time. It's unbelievable when people in front in front of anybody. She doesn't realize that's it. what marriage does. I'm talking to Bob Saget. Yeah, it's a marriage <laughs> test. Yeah, my my ex-wife says to me, "Have a good time. Uh, be funny." <laughs> like an order. It's not what you want to hear. You got more than half. Yeah. Can right. I just be funny on my own? Yeah. Right. Let me choose to be funny. That's right. That's how we start. Are you good friends with your ex-wife? Yes, actually. I never thought, that, you know, years ago we put on the facade of good friends because we have three daughters and yes. uh, we got divorced before the bat mitzvahs. Oh, my And we're not God. Jewish, so I don't know why we did them. <laughs> yeah, it's difficult when, when people break up and get divorced. Thank God you guys don't know that. Yeah. Then you guys are solid. Yes, is, we've been 20 years, 20. Oh man, that's my dating age. No, it's not. I'm actually dating. I'm dating women now. How old are they? How, how's you, how, they're in triple digits. They're, you know, triple digits. Been going out with women in their forties. Been yeah. going out with. I think she was in her fifties. A lady I met, but then she passed away during dinner. So <laughs> maybe she barely maybe, could get through the convo. Maybe she was just bored. Yeah, that's what I think. <laughs> that's how I put people yeah. down. Because sometimes you know your head hits the table when you just fall well, asleep. Well, there are some comedians who try to uh, get someone um, unconscious. Yes, and I'm not, I don't fall on that. I just I talk, and that my audio book does that. Yeah, puts people to sleep. For me, I wouldn't hear the laughs, so I couldn't get into that at all. You know, no, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, they, oh, the, the laughs are only during sex. Yeah, the laughs are during. And yeah, in, in my case, before, during, and after. <laughs> it's really difficult. I need to have uh, my sex sweetened. Yeah, that'd be nice. We, I actually put in like. Uh, Scenes from adult films, uh, just the soundtrack. <laughs> so that feels yeah. There's been music. never any pornography in my life, but I put the soundtrack so it sounds like, and always have the waka waka wah waka waka, you know, yeah. '60s porn uh, bass track. <laughs> That's the music I have going. Yeah. So what is the what television show are you doing now? What is this? Well, kind? this is crazy. What happened? And I've only done a couple of them, and there's more to come because it this uh, Fuller House is a sequel to yeah. a show. If your old show is Full House. This just doesn't happen. It doesn't right. happen in life. Star Trek did it. Yes. This is not Star Trek. Yeah. This is so a the, kid's show. The old, the, you did the show how long ago? For... Uh, 1987 wow. I started. Right. I was 30. I did it for eight years. And the show never went away. It's just an unusual thing. It's kind of like the Brady's was when I was a teenager or older than a teenager. And it's kind of like Happy Days was, except what happened to television was syndication was never like it was. Mm -hmm. And so Full House never went off the air, just for a few months. Yeah, just kept on going for Nickelodeon, ABC Family. Yes. And it's on right now, bigger than ever. It beats network television on its reruns on cable. Wow. And we did under 200 episodes. And... Stamos had a bug in his ear to get it made again with Jeff Franklin. Do you know Jeff? Yes. So Jeff yeah. and Bob Boyette and, uh-huh. and Tom, oh. Tom Miller. Bob Boyette is a producer, exec yeah. producer, and so is Jeff. Because Netflix said there's a sensation with this thing. Mm-hmm. Let's order 13 episodes. So they started something that's brand new, which is a four-camera live studio audience. Oh. Half hour, no commercials. Uh-huh. So the first episode is 35 minutes long. Wow. And there have been a couple others since. Don Rio's doing an Ashton Kutcher show for Amazon, which is for camera. And it's really interesting because it gives you something that you don't get from the single camera. No, it's a live show. 
it's a live show done in in the time of it. And know? haven't you noticed in your directing over the years that the audience at home thinks that it's all fake laugh track, when really what it is mostly is just the a mix. And yes. and you do accent it and you do try to segue the laughs but it sounds fake to everybody but it really is the actual laughs yeah. married to the live performing yeah because in editing you will edit the person you have to mix it out so it sounds a little bit fake but it's not it's the laughs that you actually got there it's yeah. weird yeah and it was such a sensation that when they released it last month it beat a lot of friday night television on network it's great. We beat like the ABC lineup, which is where we started. It's wow, TGIF. It's and they released it on a Friday night, which was the night that families watched it. It was 13 episodes. People binged it. They got all seven hours of it. Wow. It's like you can leave your eight-year-old in the house and just leave them. Yes. Unsupervised. No parents. No, no nothing. They'll watch it. They're fine. You never watched Full House, did you? No. No. no, I didn't either. No, no. <laughs> my daughters did, yeah. but they would sneak watch it because I would... Yeah, I hardly watched my own show. I hardly watched Mad About You because right. I, I made it. I you know, worked worked on it. That was videotape, right? That was film. Oh, that was film. Yeah. Film's better because it gives you some distance and a little yeah. texture. Yeah, and we were right in your face with video. Yeah. We were analog. Yeah, vi- video is right. We, we were, and I think that's why the show... There was something about the optic nerve and kids seeing it where they thought it was happening right now. Yeah. It had a feeling like the news. Yeah, it looked like a tape show. And So you're going to do more of these, I would I imagine. think that, well, the, it aired. At, how I many, mean, they how released, many did you do so they far? They did 13. I only did two of them. You only did two of them. I was going to do a third one, but I went off to New York and did this play on Broadway called Hand to God. Yes. Which was, uh, I wish you could have been there. You guys would have loved it. I, I thought it was so great that you were doing that on Broadway. You've never been on Broadway. Before. I had. I had done The Drowsy Chaperone. Oh, you did? What did Which, you play? Have in you the, seen that? Sure. I was the man in chair. And uh, I got to be there at the end of the run. They tried to put some people in the seats at the end, so they brought me in. Mm-hmm. And same thing happened with Hand of God. So I'm a closer. <laughs> you want to close your play, you put me in it. <laughs> so you must have been really excited to be doing Broadway, right? It was huge. Yeah. And I, I knew it. I learned it. I did everything right. I, I had basically one week rehearsal. I, I had two run throughs with the main cast. Yeah. And these three of them were Tony-nominated people and just amazing, mm-hmm. talented people. So, so brilliant. And I just had to be up to speed and be great. I don't remember the first week that much. Yeah. Some friends were there the first couple of days. I'm like, what are you doing here? Yeah, you please. Don't want, you don't give, need them yet. Not yet. No, please. Like, did you do eight shows a week? I did. That's a killer. It's a killer. It's yeah. a Wednesday, and I played a Lutheran pastor. Uh-huh. So it literally turned off... All the acerbic side of my brain, any self-aware part of my brain, any part that would be aware of the audience, it was wonderful for me because uh-huh. I love acting. And I don't get to do it at that level very often. And it was just... No, it's great. It really was a wonderful thing. And then it made me want to go back into stand-up even more because I'd had a break from it. And so now I'm out yeah. touring. But you know, when you're doing Full House, that's acting. You are your chops. You're you're learning how to do it. You get really good at it from doing a, you're right. a four camera film show. So hand to God was like a great experience all the way through. All the, the way Broadway through. show. It, it's very tough to do a Broadway show. And it, and it was already a hit, and it had a great actor Mark Kudish who was in it that I replaced because he went off to do something in Chicago. And the actors, I'll say their names because there's only four of them. It's uh, Geneva Carr and Stephen Boyer who played a young man. Um, they're both Tony nominated for this play. He played a young man whose puppet was maybe possessed by the devil. 
uh-huh. because he had mental issues. Uh-huh. And it takes place in a small town in Texas, and it's based on a life of Robert Askins, the playwright, and kind of what happened to him. He went to puppet church Sunday school where they would go and use puppet therapy or puppet ministry to oh. help put oh. on shows and help oh. the kids express themselves. Oh. And then this guy named Michael Oberholzer and... Um, and Sarah Styles, they've all moved on to get TV shows because so, they're. So they I, had, I jumped into a rock star cast. That's great. That had already done two hundred and seventy performances. Now, when you came on stage, because you're not a Broadway star, but you're a television star, right. did you get applause when you walked on stage? Cause About the half audience... the time, and it threw everybody, <laughs> and it threw me because I, and, and I was aware of it. It was a timing thing. Um, sometimes I would make my entrance a little quick. Because I didn't want to get the applause, I was I was doing that. Um, I'm not from television attitude. <laughs> yes, I'm Pastor Greg, for God's sakes. Yes, and then a, a few times when it was, I was going to say when there were fuller houses. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but at the end of the run, the last month, it was all sold out because it was a beloved play. Yeah, and uh, so it was really, and it was a dirty play. I mean, it was an R-rated play about something. It was at times hard to watch and at times hilariously funny. It was kind of like people, they sold it as saying it's like if Book of Mormon and Avenue Q had a baby. Yeah. But there was fighting in it. We had to have fight call, go there an hour early just because there was some minor fighting things I had to do. Oh, God. That, so it's a very physical play, right? It is a very physical. And they workshopped that for five years. It, people think these things just happen. And no. A play is like, you know, it's 10 years of development. This oh, was, and, and so hard to make money, even if it's a hit. You can't this thing it. made a lot of money, and then it kind of dipped for a while because mm-hmm. it didn't win any of the Tonys that it deserved because yeah. uh, there were a lot of great plays that year. And, and of course, your dressing room is as big as a chair. Yes. I did two Broadway plays. I was in Tell me what they were. Little Murders, a Jules Pfeiffer play. Right. And I played the gay son. So I did Little Murders, and then I did a play called Carry Me Back to Morningside Heights. And I wouldn't say I was a star, but I was the principal person in it. But it was Cicely Tyson and Diana Ladd and Lou Gossett. Oh, my God. And it was about a a Jewish kid who offers himself as a slave to Columbia University students, to black Columbia University, to pay them back for all the service and reparations that, that sounds like it should be redone it it was it, it can be redone it was written by robert allen arthur who wrote all that jazz and yeah it was terrific but the race issues in the early 70s actually late 60s you couldn't do anything that was humorous about black and white and the audience was so uncomfortable that it didn't last very long and it is strange when when a play closes quickly and yeah it could be a great great play yeah I have this here. Uh, This is a DVD of the wonderful Marx Brothers movie, Horse Feathers. I was just looking right over there at Why a Duck. Why a Duck. Yeah. Yeah. So Turner Classic Movies having a festival, and they know I'm a Marx Brothers fan. Yeah. So they've asked me to introduce Horse Feathers, this new version of it so I'm going That's to do fantastic. that. That's fantastic. So it's Groucho but 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 you you were a fan of the Three Stooges in a big way. I, I was a huge fan of the Marx Brothers but the Three Stooges I was young yes. and yeah. um, I wasn't as verbal a uh, youngster mm-hmm. uh, in the uh, double entendre and in the yeah. The whole, if I would have been a little older, I might have bypassed the Stooges, but poking someone in the eyes and then hearing a very loud sound effect, Uh I found very appealing. 
Um, and little <laughs> did I know one day I would be hosting a video show where we would put sound effects in when someone got hit in the nose or someone got hit in the crotch. You'd hear it, boing. But I, I knew Larry. Yes, tell, tell me about that. I remember that story that you told me. Yeah, Larry had come to speak at my junior high. I went to Mulholland in the Valley. It was Mo Larry Curley, right? Mo Larry Curley. Right. And then... Um, there was Shemp, who was also an original stooge, and Shemp went off to go do the movies because he fancied himself a movie star in the making. Uh-huh. Shemp. Yes. And, and <laughs> you know, reality hurts. And yeah. and Curly took his place. He, he was the younger brother, and oh. Curly was the one that had that adorable, childlike quality, yes. the most immature of all of them. Yes. And came up with the woo 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 things oh, that, that was humans don't say. Yeah. But to back it up, how I met him was he spoke at the school. He'd had a stroke. He was in a wheelchair. He talked about the Three Stooges. At the time, uh, the Stooges was on television a lot. Mm-hmm. They ran it on uh, the UHF channels mm-hmm. because back then we did not have cable. Yep. When I lived in the Valley at Burbank and Balboa in an uh-huh. apartment building with my parents. Uh-huh. And I went up to Larry afterward and told him what a huge fan I was. And, that I, and I used to send away to Blackhawk Films in Davenport, Iowa, and order the 8mm films of the Stooges, but they were silent, which made no sense. Oh, and God. so they were subtitled, so they had no sound effects. <laughs> It'd be like, come here, you. Yeah. And then... Num, 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 <laughs> it didn't even... Par- parenthetically, it didn't yeah. even say crunching no, you, sound. Yeah, <laughs> it didn't say bink. No. And um, I asked Larry if I could visit him at the Motion Picture Country House and Hospital in Woodland Hills, the Screen Actors Guild home. It's quite fascinating. Someone should really go there and do a documentary on all of the people that are there now that uh, have been in the movies, that didn't have a lot of money, that made their money, and then the Screen Actors Guild fund pays for their care there. It's wonderful. It actually is a wonderful, wonderful place. So you're a kid going to see Larry. And I brought my 8mm projector because he didn't have UHF there. Uh And I showed him his films. Wow. And he sat and watched them. And then he would tell me, Mo used to beat the crap out of us. (laughs) Mo would, because Larry, they would glue fake hair to his real hair. Oh. And Mo would rip his hair out. Oh. This is not the Marx Brothers. <laughs> no, I mean they had. But all... he would rip out the fake hair, but if, but you got the real hair came. No with way it. you can. He's not a scientist to know how we get to the real hair, right? It just comes out. Exactly. Yuck. And Mo yeah. pulled a, a, a table out from under him, and Larry broke his ribs. I mean, they really got hurt. Wow. There were no stunt people. No. They made no money. I mean, zero practically. Jules White, they hated him. Right. He, he was, was the producer. Yeah. He yeah. took all the money. He did uh, all these short specials, like exactly, uh, yeah. and they were fifteen-minute shorts before the feature, uh-huh. and they would be before comedy, you know. Yeah, and uh, they made a lot of them. And then Curly had a bunch of strokes. He had like seven strokes, they say, and he was a womanizer. Uh-huh. And Shemp came back because his movie career didn't take off. So then Shemp did more of them. Uh-huh. And then Shemp died, and then they ended up with Joe Dorita, uh-huh. and they had Joe Besser. Why you come here, you? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But you're you're a scholar of the. Th- I'm a scholar <laughs> of these men. <laughs> I was fortunate enough to be here for your birthday party and your birthday party and yes. and Bob Newhart and I talked for quite a bit and I had sent him my book uh, and he uh, it's called Dirty Daddy. He read it. He writes writes me a note and the note is incredibly well written and it's. 
I found your book disgusting. It is. I can't believe you wrote it. Um, it is. Uh, it's. I couldn't put it down. It's. It's foul. And though you say nice things in it about your family, it's still something's wrong with you on a deep level. And then at the very end, it was like very warmly yours, yes. Bob. So I don't write a note back to him, and I'm going to leave here today after this podcast, and I'm going to write him a note. So. Yes. I get a call about a month ago. It's 10 in the morning. He goes, hello, Bob? <laughs> yes? He goes, it's a Bob Newhart. Oh, my God. Hi. He goes, are you mad at me? I went, no. Uh, he said, I wrote you in the note about your book. And I, went, I loved it. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know... I, I was going to answer you. I'm, I'm rude, Bob, for not answering you. Yeah. He says, I was afraid you took it seriously. Of course. That I ripped your book apart. Yes. And I, I, I just think you're great. And I, I like to make fun of you for, you know, your kind of comedy. But I think you're great. And I said, can we have dinner? Can we go out with, with Don and Barbara? He said, I'd love that. It was just... And then yeah. we talked about stand-up for a while. Yeah. And he talked about whether he wants to do it and picks his spots because it's something he wants to do if he wants to do it. Yeah. And it was just a remarkable call. Oh, oh it's, he's so much fun. You know, I directed Newhart for, oh I reckon, two years. Holy of crap. The show. But Bob was so easy and so much fun to work with. He's one and, of the best people. One of the best people. And remember, the the Radford lot was not big like it is now. Now it's humongous. Yeah, it's but got then that it, bridge it, that yeah. leads to places that don't hire you. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> but there were just a few studios and a little uh, luncheon place. Yeah. And we'd start about 10, about 11, 11.30. He'd say, so David, who do you want for lunch today? Who do you want to have? Who should we have? And I, it's, oh, it was his friends. He said, yeah, Rickles, Dick Martin... And almost every lunch was either one of these incredible... Tom posted really yeah, funny. So funny. So funny. Talk about dark humor. Dark humor and dirty. I mean, Dirtier yeah, than me. Yeah, he would say yeah. things that and I was, he was like... the most gentle human being you'd meet. And adorable. Sweetheart. And he yeah. found the love of his life near the end of his life. Yes, with Suzanne Plachette. Yeah. And Suzanne Plachette had a mouth that was worse than I his. I loved her. She was a doll. That's a loss of a great... Great, yeah. Great people. Both of them. Yeah. yeah. Both of them. But those years directing Newhart we, it was easy it was fun it's golden television yeah and I mean that's television. iconic television yeah so that would be if yeah. you brought that back it would be just Bob <laughs> yes, looking no for else. everyone yeah <laughs> yes and I didn't think I'd ever be a comedian it wasn't something I aspired to be but I made eight millimeter movies since I was nine just stupid student yeah, dumb so really, not even student just idiot films but so you're into show business from the beginning I didn't have a clue. Did you know you were going to wind up in it when you were 15, no. 16? No, 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 no. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I was popular all the time and funny. Right. And then when I got to the University of Chicago, I saw Second City and I thought, oh, arrogantly, I said, I do, I do what they do. Right. I do what they do. I follow them like they follow the circus. I had a friend, Gene Kadish, who was at the University of Chicago, was um, studying law. And he was really wanted to be in show business. He was in every play, and, and it wasn't that good. And uh, and he said, you know, why don't we do an act together for the summer? And I said, I don't know how, what act. I haven't, I haven't seen anything. And I went to see Greco and Willard, Fred Willard and his partner Vic Greco. Oh my God! And they were so funny. 
and so good. And I said, okay, I, I could do something. And I stole their act. You I, did? Yes, I stole their act. I didn't know that you couldn't do that. I thought <laughs> the night I was there, they were going to do another show the next night altogether different than that. So oh I could do the show that they did the night before. Right. And, uh, and Fred Willard joined Second City after I was there for a while. And uh, I was a big shot at Second City. But then Fred came in and I did all of the material from, he said, those are the material from Greco and Willard. I never saw you in the audience. I, said, I was there. Not only that, I got into Second City with your material. Oh my God. <laughs> well, that's true of a lot of people. I mean, yes. you know, Richard Pryor was doing Bill Cosby bits when yeah, he yeah, started. Yeah, you yeah, you steal from someone. I kind of did. I mean, I kind of, I saw Rickles when I was 17. So some of the crowd stuff that I've done, now if I'm doing a show and I say something that sounds like him, I'll just go, well, that's Don Rickles, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, I yes. accidentally just did that. Yes. I would. That timing of what I just said would not exist had it not been for him. Yes. And other times, Rodney Dangerfield was a friend of mine also. I was. Uh, he put me on the Young Comedian special, the first one that he yeah. ever hosted. And Sam Kennison was on that. And Rita Rudner and Louie Anderson mm -hmm. and uh, Richie Gold and Bob Nelson. And yeah, all, the, all, all people that he knew were funny. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then Sam blew up out of it, and they cut me down to three minutes because Sam blew up out of it. Yeah. But it was a great experience. I was like 24, 25. And it was before a lot of stuff happened, and I was just struggling at the comedy store and at the improv trying to get a job, you know? And, and Rodney was amazingly talented comedian. I mean, just a he, craftsman, he, the likes of which you wouldn't notice because you're not supposed to. His thing was, you know, it's got to just do a killer 50. Just yeah. do 50. Yeah. And they, they have, and everything has to score. Everything has to be great. Yeah. And then he would, his, his sides would be like, I got a lot of fucking jokes. <laughs> yes. I'm fucking funny. All right. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and that was when he was strutting on stage. Yeah. And his, Movie career didn't start till he was 58. Yeah. He got um, Caddyshack. Yeah. And he influenced so many of the comedians your age and people who were yeah. around. And Quick one-liners. Uh, yeah. He really got it down. And there were a million people that did them. Yeah. You know, from Henny Youngman down to all of show business. Yeah. Just, you know, yes. quick one-liners. Yes. Well, Rodney, uh, I directed Rodney in a commercial. Ah. For one of the airlines that goes to... Vegas, it was from here. Bob Einstein, a very funny person. One of the funniest people that exists. Yes, one of the funniest people. His brother, Cliff Einstein. Albert's brother, too? Yes. There's an, Cliff is the oldest, Bob is middle, and Albert's the youngest. And Cliff is alive and well? Yeah. And funny? Funny and ran an advertising agency. Oh, my and God. And when I learned how to direct, I became sort of the, com the commercial director because I did so many successful ones. And Cliff Einstein said, you know, I'm doing, uh, we've, we've hired Rodney Dangerfield for this, and people say it's not easy to work with. Right. But he, he wouldn't okay any of our directors, but he okayed you, David. Would you do it? So I said, well, it depends. I'm busy enough, so I've got a lot of money for doing it. Right. And then Rodney and I were doing, he said, uh, and you know, Rod, I can't do impressions of anybody, but Rodney would say, hey, David, uh, the commercial. I said, yeah, what about it? He said, it's a piece of shit, isn't it? I said, it's not the healthiest attitude to take <laughs> as we're walking on the set, just the two of us. I said, no, 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 it's you and me, you know, it's a piece of shit. 
So I said, well, we have to, I'm preparing everyone for this, we have to do some of the copy because they've tested that. <laughs> they've sent it to Australia. I don't know. Everyone around the world said, oh, yeah, this is funny. This is funny. He said, what? not funny to me. It's not funny to you. I'm not going to do this fucking thing. <laughs> so I walk over to Cliff and Cliff's very excited. And, you know, he, he, Albert Brooks is his brother. Bob Einstein's his brother. And Park Your Carcass is Park, their father. Park Your Carcass is their father. <laughs> so he wants to go over to Rodney and, you know, just introduce himself and let him know that he's the comedy guy. Right. So he says, David, is it all right if I go and talk to Rodney? And I say, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, he's about good, six seven. Right. When he walked back, he was about three four. Did Rodney just rail Rodney on him? Railed on him, and I saw him throw the script down. Yeah, Rodney was sometimes Rodney, under the yeah. influence. Oh, well, it was uh, it was unbelievable. It's funny because I I became close with him and uh, with Rodney, not with Douglas Cliff. No, but um, Rodney, there was a story. I had him over for Thanksgiving once, and Rodney loved marijuana. And smoke it every day, yeah. and said he wanted to put it on his tombstone. Uh, that you know, I, I smoked loved, every I day. Smoked every day, you know, <laughs> and uh, maybe have the grass be grass. I yeah. don't know, but he was there. My mother was there. She never liked any kind of drugs. She's very puritanical, very kind of the straight man in our family. My mother, which is kind of funny because my dad was Groucho esque. My dad was very much witty, and he had the Ernie Kovacs mustache, oh, and he always looked like he was up to something. Yeah, and so Rodney's sitting there and his pants are open. He's wearing a safari shirt and his gut's hanging out. And all he talked about was the turkey leg. I, I got to have the turkey leg. So I cooked the turkey. So I had a, and then Norman Steinberg. Do you know Norman? Yes. Oh, yeah. So Norman was there. I had been doing a show called Raising Dad, uh -huh. um, which starred Kat Dennings, who's on Two Broke Girls, and Brie Larson, who yeah. just won the Oscar. Yeah. For Room, which is an amazing movie. Yeah, yeah. So let me see how many name droppings I can get before I get to the actual <laughs> Norman story. Norman Steinberg worked on Cosby Show. And, and he wrote My Favorite Year. He wrote My Favorite Year. And he worked with Ziggy Steinberg, who was my closest friend, not a relation. Wow. So we had Norman at Universal. I had the deal. So it was Norman Steinberg, Ziggy Steinberg. And it was three Steinbergs, no meaning, no waiting. Was and the other David Steinberg, nobody knew at the time. No, he was not even a he manager. Was, he was a male boy for yeah, the exactly, Maura Bresner exactly. Uh, he wasn't uh, he, cashing my checks uh, at that time. Right. That took him later. So uh, we're sitting at the table. My kids are there. Rodney goes into the, he eats his turkey leg. He's very happy. He, mm -hmm. he says his wife Joan was there. Uh, he goes into the other room to smoke pot into the den. So now he's smoking pot. And my mother really frowns on that. And my daughter comes to me, my <laughs> oldest daughter, Aubrey, comes to me and goes, Rodney's smoking pot. What do I do? And they said, just, well, open the sliding door and don't tell grandma. Yes. So then Rodney comes back in and my mother's sitting there. and We're all laughing because we're at her expense. And she goes, why are you all laughing? And I go, well, I want to be honest with you, mom. Rodney, you know, you're not going to believe this, but he was smoking marijuana. She goes, oh, I knew all the time. <laughs> oh, she didn't know anything. She, she was like, wanted to be. It was, she was like his Margaret Dumont, you yes. know, and, yes. and he didn't do anything to offend her because it was my mother. But yes. she was like, well, you know, she, she had an <laughs> attitude and he, he had a Groucho fixation whether he knew it or not. Sure, and I think he, he did because yeah. he always had the woman who was offended by him. Yes. But that, that, and then I officiated his funeral, which was, uh, Quite sad. It was a four-hour funeral. 
And I, uh, I do a lot of funerals. <laughs> oh, God. I'm really good at funerals. This was uh, Rodney's. Rodney's right? funeral. So were there comedians speaking? All comedians. All comedians. It was uh, Jay Leno who had to leave early, so we put him on early. Mm-hmm. He had a gig that night. Um, <laughs> but it was, it, it was actually everybody that loved him. Sure. And uh, his pallbearers were his son, Brian, mm-hmm. and myself, and a uh, guy, Harry Basil, and uh, Adam Sandler, and Rob Schneider. And um, I'm trying to remember who else. But, was, but he influenced so many people. He really did. And helped comedians. He loved young comedians. He, he comedians. really didn't get yeah. along with people his own age. Yes, right. He, he didn't care for um, all of the other comedians that we've been talking right. about. Right, right. And they didn't care for him either because yeah. he just wanted to hang out with the limo drivers and smoke dope. Yeah, yeah. And just be with the street guys and, yes. and talk to the people. Yeah. And had a very young following. Yeah. And, if anything, I would say my audience is similar in the demo to what his was. I've got 20-year-olds screaming and 20-year-old girls flashing their boobs at me while I'm on stage. Yeah, and then a husband and wife trying to enjoy the show until she comes over and flashes her <laughs> boobs at me. So they must know about my boob fixation. So when you're on stage doing stand-up, do you talk to the audience? Do you go into the audience? With I don't mic? go into the audience, but I do talk to them. Uh, going in met, uh, metaphorically, you mean, or actually physically walk into the audience? Walk in and t- hold the mic to them. I do not. I do not do the the Price is Right uh, yes. or, or the Let's Make a Deal <laughs> yes. approach. Right. But I do. I do engage an audience. I, when I when I go to a city like, um, I mean, I'm on tour now, so I'll go to a place and it's a town meeting for me. I really do like to immerse myself. I, I look at it. I truly look at it as a date uh, with it with a town yes. or, or with that. Yeah. venue and who those people are and and I get to know people and they yell stuff out at me because they know me from different things you know there's a lot of weird things on the internet about me and I have to own my crap because that's how people look at me it's a yeah, piece that's of awful, pop yeah. culture whatever the hell yes. I am but you know what Bob you are uh, loved by the comedy community you really are that is the nicest thing you've I've heard mm-hmm. in weeks no no you are I mean I, today I had lunch with Phil Rosenthal's a friend I of mine I love him he's an adorable person oh my god I go to lunch with him and he's all into food right now he's doing oh, this great he's always been thing. into food yeah yeah, he's he's, he's adorable, adorable, and Jeff Stilson. You know Jeff? Yeah, he's a great comedy writer. He wrote almost all the Chris Rock Oscar stuff. This yeah, time. but so it was the three of us, and I said I have to leave because I'm uh, I'm interviewing Bob for the podcast. Said, wow, she said David, you what a great gig! So you hang out with Bob Saget. I said, they both love you. That they, is and, so, and I, and I hear that from everybody. And I have paid a lot of people in this town. <laughs> no, it's I your, send cash. Your, no, to. it's you're a very generous person, and, <sighs> uh, and thank you. I I, I feel that way about you, by the way, and oh, so does everybody. Uh, I, I was proud to tell two of my friends just now that I was uh, doing this with you. I mean, you you were very incredibly highly respected. Well, I, and you're funny as hell, also, and you know what funny is, and that's. Yeah. I enjoy doing this. And, but anyway, thank you so much, Bob. My pleasure. Yeah, I always love running into you. Yeah, me too. You're on our party list now. I'm, and, and we're going to go to lunch. We're going to do go that. to lunch. Yeah. But thank you for having me oh, on great. this. And I'll listen to it over and over again. Okay. <laughs> I know.